0: or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Franco Franchisi. He's the founder of Matone Restaurant and Bar. Franco, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, You're kind of the first restaurant owner I've had on the show. But for me, I think a lot of people kind of in tech um, always kind of dream or, or want to kind of own a restaurant and or kind of bar. And so I thought having you on the show to kind of provide some insight um, into the space it would be very kind of fascinating to myself, and I'm and I'm sure the listener. But maybe before we kind of get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure, sure. So I grew up in Westchester, Illinois, okay, um, which is a western suburb of Chicago. My parents came to the states from Italy in the late 1960s, and. Um, they already had family kind of set up here in the western suburbs of Chicago, so we, well, we settled here. Okay. Um, but some of my great memories, obviously, are from uh, uh, from the good old days in Westchester.
0: Sure. So, walk me through kind of a bit of your childhood, um, kind of growing up in a you know a family run kind of uh,
1: restaurant. Absolutely. So, my uh, my father was the head chef of a restaurant called brunetti's which is in brookfield illinois okay it was owned by my godmother uh okay. and godfather at the time and then in the late 1980s so he was there for about 15 to 20 years i would say wow and in the late 1980s he branched off out onto his own okay. he decided to um start his own restaurant in westchester called these little italy and that was 1988 okay um, in 1991, he moved one. He moved the restaurant one town over from Westchester to Lagrange Park. Okay. And that is where the location of our current restaurant, Matone Restaurant and Bar, is located currently. So, um, now to back up, my, you know, my childhood, I remember very clearly being always in and around Brunetti's. Um, my mother and my father worked at Brunetti's. We um, we didn't, we couldn't afford a nanny or a babysitter. So, uh, we would, they would take us to work with them. And, um, a lot of day if we weren't in school, we were at the restaurant. And I remember paling around with my brothers, uh, the, the, restaurant I remember had a basement and an upper level banquet room. Okay. And we were always finding something to do at the, at the restaurant. Um, but it, it was an interesting life it, it, the restaurant business is a hard life. It's long hours. Sure, Bernetti's is open for lunch and for dinner. So, you know, there would be a Saturday where we would arrive at, you know, 10, 1030 in the morning and not leave until one, two o'clock at night. If there was a banquet that ran late or something, I mean, we'd be falling asleep in the, on a chair in the office. Interesting. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And, and you'd see all the workings of the business from, you know, pickup and delivery to, catering, banquets, and then just servicing everyday people. They had a bar. So you'd see a little bit of everything um, in the restaurant business. And that's really how I remember growing up. Sure.
0: You also mentioned to me kind of before we recorded that you went on some of the like uh, deliveries that that's that must have been kind of just interesting as a kid, just kind of driving around the city.
1: Absolutely. So we it was very fun. Like you know, being in a car when you're younger is always kind of an interesting, fun time, right? Sure. So, um, help pass time to go on delivery runs with the delivery drivers. And I'd remember very clearly, um, two or three deliveries in the car at one time, and then, uh, they'd be marked and I'd shuffle one of the bags to the driver as he, as he gets, you know, as he pulls up to the, to the house that he's going to, sure. to help him in the process. And, you know, just sitting in the car and taking the ride and chatting and, uh, watching the process was very fun. And, you know, they were doing, they were delivering pizzas to people's homes in the seventies and eighties. So cool. they've been doing, del- they were doing delivery for a very long time. Interesting. So
0: you, you did go to university. What did you take and, and why?
1: Sure. I, uh, so I went to Valparaiso University in Northwest Indiana and actually okay. i I initially chose Valpo because of uh, the football program I played football in college okay uh, but it was also a very good school with a lot of strong ties to the Chicago area and I knew my family was in Chicago and I it was all I knew and it's what I loved so I wanted to be close by and set myself up for a career afterwards in the Chicagoland area. So, uh, but I started out in the. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. Uh, I started out taking a lot of the biology and chemistry courses, and then um, after my first year, I switched to the the business track, uh, and I focused on finance as a, as a as a you know career path, if you will. What made you so get into finance? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I just I always uh, had a strong a kind of mass background okay. and coupling that with my father who was an entrepreneur okay. I thought learning about management about marketing I thought I could help my dad you know because Interesting We came we came from a very humble small town in Italy to the US where he could run his own business and raise a family Sure and I always wanted to try to help him in some way shape or form and I thought, well, learning marketing, learning basic statistics and um, management, um, accounting, all that stuff would be useful to him and his business. And then potentially for me in my career, it was really not until my senior year of college when I started focusing on things like the stock market. So I graduated in 2000 and I remember... our senior finance course that I took where we, we ran a mock stock portfolio. Okay. And it, it, anybody that bought stocks in the late nineties made tons of money. So sure. I, so my mock stock portfolio was fantastic. Like I thought I was, I was crushing it. Right. Okay. So Interesting. that's what kind of led me to my first job out of school, which was, you know, in the, in the financial services slash kind of wall street career. Okay. Um, so and I don't know if you want to seg you know, if you want to segue to that, but um, you yeah, know, that's, that's kind of where that's where I finished school. So.
0: Yeah. Give us a bit of background on kind of your your background. I, I know the restaurant kind of tied into that. So walk us through kind of your financial career and then transitioning into um, kind of the restaurant.
1: And so, I, in throughout college, I'd always stay involved with the restaurant. So, summer job was a sure. hey, waiter or manager or whatever Dad needed help with in the late '90s. Uh, but then, my my between my junior and senior year, I got my first internship at LaSalle Bank in okay. the credit division. So, yeah. I had a I, w- I was part of a, a a lending division at LaSalle Bank, and I you know started getting a taste for some of the other careers that were available out there. And, you know, I, that's when I, when I graduated, the first job that I got out of college was trading bonds for a small brokerage firm in the Western suburbs of Chicago uh, in Barrington. So um, I got that first job and um, it, it was uh, followed by basically a 15 year career, all in financial services, doing ec- mostly equity sales okay. so and equity sales to institutions that was my job for 15 years
0: interesting so. okay so how did you transition out of that into um kind of taking over kind of rebranding and actually running the restaurant full-time
1: sure my father who at that time he came to me in 2009 and said you know i'm starting to get Tired, I'd, I'd like to start thinking about retirement and potentially okay. selling the restaurant. And I looked at my dad, who is, you know, a great man, and you know, I wanted to help him. Sure, but the timing was just brutal. We were in the middle of the financial crisis. Right, we were in a massive recession. Credit wasn't flowing. Sure. So and, and real estate values were plummeting. So I basically said to him, "Why don't you let me?" take over the restaurant, I'll bring in some fresh blood and turn you into the landlord. Okay. And, and, and the, the restaurant at the time was not doing well because it was basically in a low tide as it relates to the economy. A sure. lot of people were very, very cautious about what they were eating. Everybody was very price conscious. People were cooking a lot at home and everything was about saving dollars. So sure. it, that incremental spend that people were um, used to giving when times were good just dried up. Sure, so the, the restaurant was very slow. So I I made the decision that if I did that, I'd want to rebrand it and give some you know people something to talk about. Give okay. people so like a, almost like a marketing strategy.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. Okay, and I I felt like we could still keep a lot of the same faithful patrons that we had at the time, right. but perhaps maybe attract some new people as well that want to see, Hey, what's the new restaurant going in over here? You know, right. is it interesting? Is it, you know, what do they have there? So um, we started looking at the menu. We started looking at the decor. We, you know, we, we came up with a, with a, a very similar concept And diesel little Italy was your traditional, old school Italian great Italian comfort food restaurant,
0: okay, and
1: you could go and get a healthy portion of lasagna and baked mustaccioli and all of those kind of what you would deem as like those awesome old school comfort food italian sure. you know dishes and um we started giving some thought to what do, what is an interesting you know, potential way to change the menu, keeping the concept, but adding new menu items. Sure. So you don't, know, we didn't want to disgruntle our current patrons because I mean, business was slow enough, but we wanted to have some things that would attract new patrons.
0: Sure. Makes sense.
1: So um, we thought of the concept of the wood fired oven. And I think we were really ahead of the curve in 2009 uh, with respect to buying a wood fired oven Okay. Uh, there was another restaurant in Chicago called Spock that had done it for years. Okay. And let's, let's be honest, the Italians have been cooking in wood-fired ovens for thousands of years. So sure. it was nothing new to Italians. But um, the interesting part of the wood-fired ovens is the heat that they generate and how you can create a number of new interesting dishes, not just um, pizza, oh, uh, but sandwiches. And, um, you know, fish dishes and chicken dishes. So we started cooking lots of things in this wood-fired oven. And what was different about Matone is we put it in the center of the restaurant, in the front, where people can see it.
0: Okay, So we had
1: a separate chef that, or, or cook that manages the wood-fired oven in the front. So it was interactive. People okay. could walk up. They could see the food being cooked. They could smell it throughout the entire dining room. Interesting. And people, people really enjoyed that. It wasn't an easy thing to, to do because you had the extra labor cost of constantly manning it. Right. And, you know, there are logistical issues with having a separate cooking area in the front. But all that aside, I think people found it intriguing. And in the wintertime, for example, to walk in and see almost like this fireplace. Yeah. This glow, this glowing heat um, that, you know, you could feel if you get close enough, you could feel the heat coming out of this, this wood fired oven. And it just became this very interesting centerpiece. And it's still obviously there today. It's, you know, it's, a it's an important part of what we do. And matone is actually an Italian word that stands for brick. And this oven is made out of brick. So it's a brick oven that, okay. that's fired, with, fired with wood. Interesting.
0: So how did you guys kind of decide though, to, do that? Like, did you guys just kind of brainstorm some ideas or or how did you kind of come up with the idea to to go and then install like a a brick oven?
1: Yeah, it it was just, it was it was very, we had visited Spockanopoly, which was this very, it's still a very popular, uh, Chicago in the Ravenswood area of Chicago that does Neapolitan style pizza Right out of their wood-fired oven, and it's displayed. So it's not something that I'd say we came up with on our own. It's and sure. it, it it has origins back to the way that people have been cooking and are still cooking in Italy today.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: But someone else had done it here already. So it was basically how can we resonate with that Italian population? that grew up in Italy that was used to eating out of these wood fired ovens, but also find this kind of very attractive way of presenting it to people. Because sure. it's one thing if you have it in the back. Yeah. But you know how it is. Out yeah. of sight is out of mind. Yeah, totally. So but when when you have it in the front, it just it, it captures people's imagination and 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 not and, not, and it, it captures their senses as well because you you're smelling you, you can see and you can almost, fee- you can almost reach out and feel everything that's being made there. And yeah. you, can t- you can see the quality of it. So there there's, you know, there's always been this emotional connection that people have with food, sure, whether totally. it's positive or negative. People have been sharing food at tables for years. So there's always this emotional connection there's always these great memories associated with food so we we decided that you know people could get a a better glimpse of it if the oven was in front and we built the the rest of the dining room around it after we did the remodel so so so
0: what types of stuff did you keep on the menu and what types of stuff did you add outside of the stuff you already kind of mentioned with, with the oven
1: yeah um so right now the mainstays are pizza and wood-fired oven sandwiches we do our baked clams out of the oven okay but we also do some seasonal items like for example we just took our um our Brussels sprouts and acorn squash appetizer off the menu okay we typically put it on in the fall okay and run it through the spring so that's that's something that is cooked in the wood-fired oven up front okay uh there are a couple other dishes that we would deem as as seasonal items, but um, um, you know it, it varies. Uh, the what's nice about doing a wood fired oven sandwich is you can go in fifty different directions with it. We have sure. we have four or five on the menu that are on the menu all the time, and then we run weekly specials. We've done a cubano, we've done a chicken parmesan, we've done. Um, a meatball sandwich out of the wood oven. Okay. Those aren't on the regular menu. Those gotcha. will run as specials. So we, and wood fired oven pizzas, we have four or five on the menu that are mainstays. And then we'll do all kinds of different, interesting, fun specials that we also do a pizza of the month. Okay. Okay. Sure. So we'll, we'll have a special pizza that runs for an entire month and then we change it up you know, every first of the month. So sure. if somebody likes a special, mm-hmm. then they know they can get it there for the rest of the month. And right. we, we'll use the data that we garner from those things to maybe change up the menu. If there's a pizza uh, of the okay. month where people are, if, if there's a pizza of the month that we run and people are coming back for it on a weekly basis, then the next time we do a menu switch, which is every about six months, okay, we, we could add that to the menu on a full-time basis. And, um, As long as we have the items, we'll make the stuff anyway.
0: Got you. Okay. No. Interesting. So, how do how do you come up with kind of you know new weekly features, new kind of monthly specials? How how do you guys kind of do that?
1: We so there's what's interesting about the restaurant business, as you probably will know. um, I would say sixty five to seventy percent of the revenue is done in in three days: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And while I'd love to be busy Monday through Thursday Yeah, Um, earlier in the week typically allows lots of time for innovation and brainstorming. And and so, so we have cooks, we have chefs, we have owners that will go out and, and taste things on other people's menus and um, do some research through the web, see what other people are doing that are, that is successful. And then, we tinker around and we play. We play with the oven. We will make pizzas and we'll we'll come up with something we think is really interesting. And then we'll let the staff try it. Um, like the staff is usually a really good barometer of what everyday people like to eat. Sure. You know, the sh- chefs can get stuck in their own what they think is great and and what they feel is good. But if you don't sample it out to people, you're never really going to understand or know what other people like. So we liked it to pull our own staff as well. And if they like something we'll run with it. Sure. The other thing that we'll do every once in a while is like a server's choice. Okay. So we'll run a special where we'll let the servers actually pick the special. Interesting. Um, Yeah. And, and, and typically it's something that we've already done. Okay. That they, that they enjoyed and found popular and then we'll bring it back. Okay. Um, but you know, getting them involved in the process also helps us uh, with the selling of the products right. when we do, when we do feature them. If the servers are bought in, yeah, to the process, interesting. They're just they're just much more interested in in selling those products because they feel like, well, listen, I had I had input into this. Yeah. I put my name. I put my name that I want to yeah. sell. It. So. That's uh, that's another thing is trying just trying to involve the staff more and we want to do more of that as well. Sure. So how do you
0: kind of stay relevant in today's industry? Um, You guys seem to have adopted kind of technology quite a bit with kind of online ordering and and you've obviously obviously have been doing delivery. So maybe walk us through why you've kind of adopted online kind of technology and online ordering.
1: So, look, it's really a function of what our staying in touch with our customers and what they want, right? Um, So, innovation, you look around and you follow companies like Google and Microsoft and Facebook and Amazon, and you, you can't help but notice all of the different ways that they are trying to innovate. And Uber Eats, Grubhub, Ch- Chow Now, uh, there's a bunch of, you know, the, the Yelp has a couple platforms that they've acquired along the way. Online ordering is the way that the next generation is getting food. And I think part of the part of the reason for that, and what I mean by the next generation is, I'm, I mean, millennials. And part of the reason for that, in my opinion, is the prevalence and importance of amazon throughout the world amazon is conditioning people to go to their phone place an order or go to the web place an order and then it gets delivered to them within two business days in some cases with amazon prime within two hours so they are a huge influence on what is happening and the way people are used to getting their things, getting blue apron and Amazon and freshly and all of these companies are doing pre-made or, you know, meals that get delivered to a house and then they get combined and put together by, uh, by the individual person. So the world is moving in that direction. So if you don't innovate, if you don't innovate, then, forget like you've got no shot at capturing the next customer if you will this huge demographic that is that is the millennials people still like to go out for a nice meal I think the old there's the baby boomers who are entering their retirement I think they're still used to going out and getting that nice meal and they might be willing to go out two three times a week I don't know roughly The millennial doesn't have that amount of time or money. So I think they're more interested in going out maybe once a week okay, and then, you know, getting their meals sent to their house. So we needed to stay on that trend. So we adopted online ordering five years ago. If I could have done it earlier than that, I would have done it earlier than that. But I can tell you that it has been a fantastic addition to our business. It's a channel that people enjoy using it's easy for them to use. They're used to using it as it relates to Amazon and some of these, some of these other um, there's plenty of other people like Walmart and everybody else that deliver. you know, you can order online and have it delivered. So um, we want to stay on that trend. Um, That doesn't mean that we're not going to emphasize the importance of innovating with respect to the food, because we always need to make sure that, or, you know, every restaurant's going to have those top five sellers, right? right? We want to make sure the next 10 are awesome, too. And so we're constantly trying to innovate um, menu items, but also the manner in which we deliver the food or provide the product as, as, as and will continue to change over time.
0: Sure. So does how much does social media kind of play into all this do you use it quite a bit or not really?
1: We do. We have uh, a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page that we use very frequently. I think you just have to follow the eyeballs. Okay. And it's All you have to do is read about the number of unique users that Facebook record, reports on a quarterly basis. And you know, they have just a huge presence sure. and they have mind share. And I feel like the, the cost of advertising on social media because you can geolocate right, is, is very cost effective relative to things like TV sure. relative to things like radio. So we use the social media channel a lot, okay. not only just, sharing things for free, but also boosting certain posts to get people's attention. Like it it works for us. It works, you know, Matone restaurant works very well when we do events. Okay. So if we're doing an event like a mother's day brunch or something, we get very good um, uh, return on investment for our social media ads, if you will. Sure. Interesting. Now that being said, we also still, we still do, and we could talk a little bit about advertising if you want but sure. we still do, um, we still send flyers to people's homes once okay. or twice a year. We okay. still do like everyday direct mailing because okay. there's a certain segment of the population that is used to getting things in the mail and they're used to placing orders that way. So we don't want to, that's more expensive So, so that still works
0: change. for certain age believe ranges. It,
1: believe it or not, there's certain demographics and I think it skews it, I think it's more by age. I mean, we have totally abandoned the Yellow Pages book, right? That's right. gone. I think that's a dying. But believe it or not, they still distribute them and they still sell advertising in there. Sure. I just I don't imagine – I can't imagine why or, or who uses that. But, um, you know, making – it's more important for us to make sure our Google landing page is right and the right. information is correct
0: sure. and
1: our Yelp page, for example. But, um, you know, we we definitely – a need to stay on, uh, stay on the, um, the direct mail marketing stuff. It's just, it's less and less over time. Interesting.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that, that makes some sense. The, the, I, I figured the direct mail stuff, um, worked. It's just, um, for certain age ranges, but it, it's kind of, it's interesting, right? How, cause that's kind of obviously like a traditional kind of way of doing something where obviously, um, online ordering is pretty modern it's it's interesting just to kind of get the most amount of eyeballs in front of things you need to kind of use both
1: mediums yeah and so i think you know over time that and it's been happening for years sure there's going to continue to be a shift from that traditional marketing channel to the sure. digital marketing channel it's sure. just it's happening every day I think our budget will reflect that over time as well. But while it's measurable, we can still see, like on the weekends that we that we pass, I call it passing flyers. But basically, we print out a very nice color copy of our menu,
0: yeah, and
1: then we distribute we distribute it to certain uh, zip codes. Okay. On those weekends, we see bumps in really? our business. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that it, we know that it's still. It's still having an impact, still working. It's just—I think it's just going to be less and less over time. Sure.
0: And it's—it sounds like you guys are very much willing to like trial and error some of this stuff, right? Like you try something once, if it works, you'll keep doing it. If it doesn't work, you probably try something new. Is that fair to say?
1: I think you have to. I think you have to find what works best, and then you have to change it up. Um, You know, if, if there's something that's not working, definitely you have to be willing to make a change and try something different, try something new. I think that's very, very important. And it kind of keeps the consumer on their, on their toes as well. What are we going to see from, are we going to see something from a tone uh, in the mail? Or are we going to get it straight to our phone? Are sure. we going to get a text? Are we going to get an email? You know, right. I don't know. Um, they, we, we try to keep it, you know, we try to, we, we continue to try to, um, to change it up. Absolutely. Sure. So I'm curious
0: um, to get your thoughts on, Obviously, there's like chain restaurants that are across the country and kind of beyond. How does that kind of help or hinder your guys' business? Because I think a lot of people like the comfort of going to, you know, the Olive Garden because they've been to the Olive Garden in a bunch of states and it always tastes pretty similar compared to something where you guys are have, obviously you're unique, you have kind of one location. Um, How does that kind of help or hinder you compared to kind of the big chains?
1: the uh, it's very the the large chains are brutal competitors they have they have cost advantages sure they have um advantages of scale they have deep pockets um so competition is is brutal what we need to uh, but all of those places and i don't care which one you tell me about the larger, the better. Okay. They all cook. They all cook mostly out of commissary kitchens. They, they package the food, then they send it. And there's just something about the quality that changes. So we need to be able to offer a better quality product in order for people to get people to say, this is worth spending the extra $2 or $3 for this is worth it to me to make that spend, whether it's the freshness of the local ingredients that we use or, you know, maintaining an open line of communication with the local farmers and the local growers of product, the local, uh, the local meat providers, the poultry providers, making sure that we're using fresh ingredients that aren't processed, that, get as fast as we can from the farm, if you will, to the table. People talk about farm to table restaurants all the time. Yeah. We try to shorten that distribution loop as much as we can. And then it's about cooking technique, right? So great ingredients plus cooking technique is what creating fantastic food is all about. Sure. So we have to go the extra mile. We have to learn about things like blanching and braising and, and glazing and applying certain cooking techniques which is more expensive which is which takes more time which which takes more money but ultimately produces these just better products where if you put a plate of what we are serving to a similar plate side by side with a competitor it should be a night and day difference sure interesting if they can if they can ever close the gap and keep their price advantage it would be very difficult to compete, but um, you know that has not happened yet. I can tell you, so many people that are willing to pay more for a nicer uh, a nicer dish or a nicer option than they'll get in an Olive Garden, if you will. And nothing against Olive Garden. But, no, yeah, um,
0: yeah, no. Interesting. That's kind of what I figured, but I'm just kind of curious. So, what advice do you would you give somebody that's maybe looking to invest or maybe own or or kind of get into into the space
1: so it's it's a it's a very it's a it's a question that i could probably talk about for an hour okay ultimately investing in a restaurant is a very tricky very difficult um investment it's about and investment in the right people sure it's, it's it's about so it's about people that have um experience in the industry that are that are willing to do the work so there's okay. a difference between uh there's a difference between someone who is a name and maybe knows a thing or two about the business but is not necessarily vested in spending time there sure i think you have to, i think I think you have less uh, risk if you are invested in someone who's there every day
0: Okay, sure.
1: versus someone who's just kind of managing from 20,000 feet. Sure. Um, I can talk about things like location risk. I can talk about things like um, concept risk. Okay. You know, I, I don't recommend investing in a restaurant within a mile or two of a behemoth that is of a similar, (laughs) that is of a similar concept. Makes sense. If you're, if you're investing in a single place, for example, a a one unit restaurant and let's say it's a Chinese food or a, you know, Chinese food restaurant. Okay. Do not want to open next to the, Chinese place that's been around for ten years. Sure. And so that's you're taking significant concept risk. Okay. And while you might be able to have a little better product, it is going to take month mu- it is going to take years to change people's, you know, eating habits. Right. Right? Yep. Ultimately, people are creatures of habit. Sure. So if you're a restaurant, if you're a restaurant you need to have everything in place and everything put together in order to take cu- customers from one place and, and pull them to another because they have their ways. People have their ways about them. People sure. have things that they enjoy and things that they do. So unless the current restaurant is doing something to screw that up, well then it's going to be very difficult for you to, to lure them away from that. Now, if it's a different concept, that's different. Well, it's risky to have a different concept, but it's something new. It's something that would intrigue someone. Hey, let's try this. Let's say you're opening in a in a town that doesn't that has an Italian place and and a Chinese place, but it doesn't have a Mexican place, and you're right. going to be the Mexican food restaurant. Sure. You know, like that's that's more intriguing. That's less risky, in my opinion. Sure. So because you can offer something different. No, that but makes you're sense. you're going to offer the same old, if you're going to offer the same old thing that's right down the street, it's going to take years for you to, quote unquote, steal the customers. And and you might not make it while that whole process is happening. Yeah, might, because but there, cause there's a
0: lot of overhead, right?
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: The, the other thing that I'm always kind of curious about that I've heard like that people seem to, maybe maybe it's more on the bar side than, than kind of the restaurant side, but um, they might only be open three, four nights a week, but they and they think it's like a part-time job but f- from my understanding and I've never been a bar or and or re- restaurant owner that it's basically full-time even the, like you need to be working on it kind of full-time even if you're only open you know a few days a week is is that correct
1: Absolutely there's always a certain amount of whether it's prep work that's being done on days off whether it's inventory or ordering sure. or fixing the sink or changing a light bulb or submitting your sales tax figures on on a monthly basis. There's always work to do. There's always lots of things that are going on behind the scenes. So there's no, there's no day off. I was on vacation last week for July 4th and I worked at least, I had little messages or things that I had to attend to at least every other day, if not every day. Okay. So there's always something, the amount of time is, you know, kind of up to you. I always recommend that people try to unplug. Uh, I think some people, uh, it makes sense to have at least one day off. It gives everybody a break, uh, or a, a perceived break. Sure. And, um, and you, you, you know, you got to most not everybody's working seven days anyway, but, um, you know, it gives it having one day off where you don't have to actually deal with, customers not that you you know that you not that that's a problem <laughs> but, yeah i know what you mean you know, yeah somewhere where you can just focus you know nobody is going to be knocking on the door to come in because you're closed when you can just focus on the important things that it takes to run a restaurant i think that's you know i think that's important i think you need to try to do that now my tone is open seven days a week, so sure. we hope to see everybody even on Mondays. But we, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but we don't necessarily follow that rule. I think if I was opening a new restaurant today, I would I would try to work in one day off if I could.
0: No that that makes that makes sense. I I think it's it's kind of um, the whole space is kind of fascinating to me. But what is there any other advice that you would give people? Maybe once it's kind of up and running.
1: Yeah, um, I think. So, when we rebranded, okay, and I, you know, kind of go back to this story. When we rebranded, we did everything, we did make menu changes, we did disgruntle some of the current patrons, okay. Uh, but you absolutely have to focus on bringing in new people. And so, when you think about your spend, so many people focus on, I got to get open, I got to get open, I've got to get open, right. And you know, there are delays in construction and this costs more than you thought it was going to cost. And this is taking more time than this. You know, you, you run into all kinds of issues when you're trying to open and then you lose track of just because you slapped some new paint on the wall and put up a new sign. That doesn't mean that everyone is just going to sprint on over and, and try the new restaurant. I mean, sure. you'll be busy. You should be busy at first, but that, Three to six months after, or call it a year or two after, um, you need to continue to pump. I think money into marketing dollars to try to attract new people. Okay, I, I call it the I, I call it personally my customer bucket. Okay, right. I need to make sure that I'm filling my customer bucket because the bucket's going to have a hole in the bottom. You're going to lose people. People are going to move. People are going to die. Like, it's bad things sure. that can happen right and you're going to you're going to lose customers over time and you need to make sure you're filling your bucket with customers and trying to attract new customers in new ways until you are at a point where you're operating at a steady state where you can keep good staff and generate good cash flow and that takes just takes a lot of time sure
0: would you ever open a second location
1: absolutely we're working on that right now in okay. fact so okay. we're not we're not we're not we're in negotiations for another location, um, but and we—I've been looking for the better part of twelve months.
0: Okay, so how do you replicate what you've done, you know, with obviously the kind of flagship um, restaurant, and actually getting the kind of the same quality brand recognition in a new location?
1: Yeah. Th- that's a to-be-determined for me, to be honest, Kevin. Like, I, I don't sure. know the answers to that okay. yet. Okay, interesting. I, so we've been, what we've been doing is making sure that we have recipe books,
0: that uh, okay. we
1: have operational manuals
0: okay. so that
1: we can make sure that we replicate what we're doing from the quality of food standpoint sure. to whatever the new location is going to be. So that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, I think you have to have a very tight understanding of the community that you're entering because sure. every community is different. Every community has different needs and wants, and I think knowing and understanding and having a good feel for that ahead of time is is going to is paramount. And sure. Certain menu items may resonate very, very well in one community, and you might have a different demographic in a different community that likes something else. Right. So you need you need to need to know what you're stepping into before you step into it.
0: Sure. So how are you doing that research?
1: So I, you know, I search out demographics. Okay. I, I talk to the local. So I do a search on demographics, and I say, what are the nationalities of okay. people that sure. live? In a certain town, for okay. example, how many people are in that town? Right. Um, how many people travel that town to work in that town versus sure. how many people leave that town on a daily basis? That can help me determine if I want to be open for lunch or not, sure. right? We've got sure. a, you got a lot of people travel to that town for for business or for work. Well, then you know you'll have a, a need for lunch, and if you don't, you might not need to open for lunch. Sure. So. Knowing all that stuff ahead of time, understanding what the competition is, what the competition charges, right? Sure. I think it's it's interesting, you know, some people would make a huge mistake by not understanding where are people eating? What are the popular restaurants in and around there? What are they doing? What are they doing successfully? Right. You know, what is, go in, go in, sit down in that restaurant, order some food, talk to the servers, say, um, excuse me, but. What's your best-selling dish? Why do you think it sells so well? And okay. just have an idea of what, other, what is making people successful. And is it, is it a low-priced dish? Is it a high-priced dish? You know, sure. start to look and, and gather data just based on experience and then make sure that you're offering something similar. You Make sure that your, your menu is on point with that, right? It, uh, if you have something already that you've tried on your, as a special in the, in the flagship, that may work really well in the new location based on what you're seeing, then you try those things. I sure. think that's the way that I'm, uh, I'm trying to, to replicate on. I don't consider what we do to be a vanilla box okay. where you can just open it, open it anywhere. I think there are some great concepts out there that are like that. Sure. And they just don't resonate very well. I just, I feel like for the level of cooking that we do, we need to be, we just need to be very unique and that that's going to make it harder to scale to be honest it'll be it'll make it harder to open multiple locations but i think we can if we do the research ahead of time we'll be more successful no that makes sense
0: and and i i guess it also plays into kind of what you talked about earlier is like sourcing local ingredients obviously if you're you know further away from where you're getting certain ingredients you might just say you know what we're not going to carry that item and we're going to get different ingredients from this place that's even closer is that
1: kind of fair to say absolutely no oh, absolutely i think knowing and understanding what your suppliers can provide in the area that you're in will will definitely play a part in how you're designing menu items because if you want to offer a, a, a different quality uh that next level of quality then yeah. you know you need to be as close to the you know this the sustainable resources that you're going to need on a daily basis. Sure. So
0: I'm curious then um, to get a little bit of thoughts on how long are are your days? Are they you know kind of nine hours, twelve hours, longer than that? On kind yeah, of average. It,
1: it, on average, I'd say it's ten ten hours, okay. typically. Okay. Um, uh, so and and we're 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 unique that we're not, we're not open at lunchtime. Okay. We, we do a lot of private events at lunchtime. Okay. It's, the community, the, the community that we are in is fantastic, but it doesn't have a ton of people traveling to it for business. Okay. So for, or it doesn't have a, a ton of businesses in general as a number of great local small businesses, but not enough to support an everyday lunch crowd. Got gotcha. you. In order to in order to um, sustain a a the cost of the labor that's associated with staffing the restaurant. Sure. Okay. So, so you know we're unique in that sense, but we could we still have. I mean, I've I've worked 13, 14 hour days. I mean, sure. there's, there's there's plenty of those, and and there will be plenty of those in, in the future. <laughs> sure. But on, a, on average, it's ten. Yeah. So that's and, a- bad like that's not I, terrible I try, take, I try to take two days off okay um, and, and sometimes it's less and sometimes it's more i've you know it's we're set up differently my my brother who's the owner he's on vacation this week so okay. i'll be at the restaurant most every, i've been i'll be at the restaurant pretty much every day gotcha
0: so. okay so you guys kind of give back to the community do you want to maybe talk about that and why that's important
1: So I think it's really important to stay in contact with all the local organizations and make sure that you're giving back. Ultimately 90% of the revenue that's generated at Mattel restaurant comes within five miles. Interesting. So, um, local chamber of commerce, local, um, local charities, the local little league team um you know we stay involved with all of those organizations and we either you know we'll provide food from time to time there's okay uh, there's an organization called bed plus which does a soup drive every year for homeless people We donate you know 10 gallons of soup sure. you know uh, it, it, it's it's the, you know, we sponsor a little league. David Lagrange Park. Okay. We, you know, there's lots of ways that we try to give back to the community. Um, we had um, we had a young girl, um, and who passed away from from cancer, and we held a fundraiser and helped give back proceeds to the family. And one of those, you know, we gave the family free pizza for a year. Oh, very cool! That's really cool of you guys to help them get through uh, the hardship that they had to experience. Sure. You know, whenever we see an opportunity like that, we make sure we are present. If it's volunteering time, then great. If it's volunteering food, fine. Whatever it is, I think it's important to stay in touch with, um, with local community members. Uh, And we will continue to do that. Sure. No, I, I think
0: that's great. Right. And, and obviously, it's getting your name out in the community. It's kind of like a soft sell kind of marketing, right? And and kind of keeps you guys front and center, right? So I, I think yeah, that makes a lot it, of sense, right?
1: The, yeah, and, and you know, you if people probably question whether or not it's genuine. Like it's absolutely genuine, but there's a there's a motive as well. Like sure, we want we want people to associate restaurants down the street as good people who are always willing to help no matter what sure you know um and while we hope that there's good positive vibes and repercussions for that um that's the goal
0: sure no that that makes a lot of sense and i i think that's what anybody's doing right when they're yeah like it's genuine but obviously they're they're trying to stay relevant as well right like so it benefits both sides but uh we're coming to the end of the show. So let's maybe close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to
1: mention. Sure. So uh, our website is matonerestaurant.com. You can find us on Instagram at Matone Rest. Okay. And searching Matone Restaurant uh, via Facebook will will pop up as well. Uh, we'd love to have people following our page so they could see pictures of all the food that we're putting out. Um, if you go to our website, you'll find an ability to do online ordering. So if you wanted to place an order, if you happen to be in the area and you want to try the food, great. You can go to our website to book a reservation. Uh, we use open table for our platform Uh, to do reservations. So you can find us in a lot of different ways by searching Matone restaurant in LaGrange park. And, um, we love to have uh, folks give us a try when they're in the neighborhood. I will also mention that we are very close to a large zoo, Brookfield okay. Zoo, in the, in the western suburbs. And that this time of year in the summertime, there are a lot of visitors to that zoo. Sure. And those visitors are always looking for a place to eat, typically afterwards. And uh, I'm sure the food at the zoo is great. But come on by afterwards. We're only a couple miles up the street from the zoo, and sure. uh, love to. We'd love to serve some dinner after. a long day of walking
0: around sure you know? and and just just for people that the spelling of matone is m-a-t-t-o-n-e and then restaurant.com correct yes perfect well i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day man awesome thank you very much kevin thanks man okay bye Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.